When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as ever, another busy week uh, with the Blues. Plenty to get our teeth stuck into. We will briefly reflect uh, almost a week ago now, but we haven't had the opportunity to reflect on the opening pre-season friendly of the summer. A 3-3 draw with Blackpool. Of course, one name dominating the transfer agenda this week, and that's James Rodriguez. We're getting the lads' thoughts on any potential deal for him. Gareth Barry announced his retirement of football uh, this week, and we will discuss his impact at Everton uh, going forward, Leighton Baines, of course, you know, after uh, last week, uh, news that the club are closing in on a new role for Leighton. Again, we will discuss that. Third kiss, and of course, stadium design changes all to get in in the next sort of 30 to 40 minutes. So we will crack on. Um, Treno, um, pre season friendly, 3 3 at Blackpool. Probably the game would be divided into uh, two sections. The opening 11 minutes when Everton conceded <laughs> three goals, and the rest. Um, Look, you've seen plenty of pre-season games in your time, Preno. Do we take this result and this performance with a heavy pinch of salt? Or given how close we are to the season, um, do we have to be uh, concerned? We always say exactly the same thing about pre-season friendlies. You know, going back to 22-0 victories, you know, don't get carried away. <laughs> going back to going 3-0 down uh, to, you know, so way down the league pyramid. And yeah, you always take them with a healthy, you know, sort of pinch of salt. But that performance in the first 11 minutes or so, for me, just reinforced so many of the problems that we saw in the tail end of last season. And that is a lack of intensity and a lack of attitude. Um, you know, so sort of players maybe not being as switched on at it as, uh, as much as they should be. So for me, it was a little bit more concerning than a normal pre-season friendly would be, especially, as you say, given that we're so close to the start of a new season already. It almost like, for me, just reinforced the fact that the same old problems that we had tail into last season still exist. And you just look at the manager's demeanour in the uh, dugout, the way he was clearly very brassed off by what he was seeing. Uh, Mm. So, you know, let's not get carried away. Let's not get overboard. But yeah, there was enough to be concerned about there, just in the fact that the players didn't seem to be... um, improved any in terms of attitude and focus yeah well I've quickly learned about um, about Carlo in this in his reign is that if he's uh, particularly cheesed off should we say he sits down uh, and he and he did very quickly at Bloomfield Road um, Sam uh, you know how, how, how concerned are you or not by, by what you saw on Saturday are we are we getting carried away by being worried about about the game or I don't think you can be too reactionary but you know, as Preno was saying, it was, a, it was a very, very poor 11 minutes. And it wasn't like, you know, we'd made loads and loads of changes. It was, you know, it pretty much resembled, the scene that started pretty much resembled what, if the Premier League season kicked off tomorrow, would would be one of our uh, strongest teams. So, 
you know, whether it was attitude, whether, you know, Blackpool just took us a little bit by surprise. Um, but the, the whole thing was, was abysmal, really, wasn't it? And, you know, we've done well in the end to claw our way back into it. But, you know, it, it does leave a hint of concern that at the moment, you know, with the, the players we're going after and the teams we're negotiating with, a, a team that resembles that could start on the opening day of the season. And, you know, that, that that's a whole different kettle of fish, isn't it, to, to Blackpool, with all due respect, in the pre-season friendly. So I think that's where the concern is. But did it tell Everton fans a lot that we didn't already know? You know, that our midfield is a little bit weak and, and lightweight and, you know, we're in desperate need of reinforcements. And, you know, and then you you add in players like Mason Holgate having an uncharacteristic off day. Um, it, it just didn't make for, for good viewing. And I think, in all honesty, they got away with it, really, by getting it back to 3-3 and coming back. Because I think the players would have been in for a lot more criticism had they finished, you know, 3-0, 3-1, or if we'd have lost the game. Mm. Gav, I appreciate that you were uh, in the uh, some, somewhere in deepest dark of Scotland, so didn't get the opportunity to watch the game. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but I, I'll, um, I'll talk generally, because obviously, Gilfie Sigurdsson... Yeah. Um, Two goals and assist. You know his ability. Um, I say prowess because, in fairness to Gilfie, I think that you know one thing that hasn't left him is ability from a dead ball situation. His prowess goes back into the game. As I say, an assist and two goals, uh, albeit one from the penalty spot. That's not in question. So, but his ability as a midfielder to influence the game from open play, of course, is a concern. Afterwards, we spoke to him, and he, in so many words, basically said. He doesn't really, um, it's not natural him playing in a deeper role. He has to fight yeah. his natural urges. So he's basically saying he doesn't like playing there, but he's doing so for the manager. Do you, do you see a future for Sigurdsson in terms of, clearly he has, he has ability, um, but, it, but for me, it just sort of highlighted everything that, that, that is wrong with the team at the moment. Do you, do you see any way for, for Gilfie to play any part this season? Uh, not in a, not in a four four two, um, for the start in a in a four three three possibly, four two three one yeah in his usual role, um, but not in a four four two. Sigerson, as you said many times on this pod, he's a he's a player of moments, isn't he? In the game, he'll provide you whatever his form is on the day. He'll always provide you with two or three moments of quality, probably during the game and. That is not necessarily what you need to have as an attribute as a midfielder, where it's constant regurgitation of the ball, um, you know, tracking back all that type of stuff. It's, it's, it's you've got to be involved all the time, and I think that's what he's referring to. That's not his game, is it? No, it, his game is providing two or three moments of quality in the opposition box. So for me, it will be difficult for him to see a role within the four-four-two. Hence, why we, you know, the players we've been linked with are, are players who could probably play there in, in centre mid. If, if we can just say with you quickly, mate, if the football club and look, Carlo is saying the right things about Gilfie, he believes that he can do a job, and, and I genuinely think he values his um, technical and, and in, you know, football intelligence, if you like, and values that experience. But if the, if the football club are minded to try and move him on, do you really see, is there a realistic market, do you think, for Gilfie Sigurdsson this summer, given everything that's going on and what he will be earning a week, um, etc.? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a good question. Um, but there'll be a market, but whether that market is 
meet Everton's valuation and of both yeah. in terms of transfer fee, whether somebody could um, afford his wages is a is a moot point. Uh, yeah, the you, you, you know we spoke last week about signing Takora and signing Alan side. I know they've not been signed, but possibilities that's got to be paid for by elsewhere by making savings within within the squad. You can't sign those those two players in addition to what we've got. Sigurdsson as a major wage earner and as somebody who's bought for £48 million, is, is, is somebody, if he left the club, we would, I think, see a you know a, a decent-sized saving in terms of our annual spend. So, yeah, I could, I could you know, the market is there, but whether we get a, get a fee for him is, that we'd want is, is, is debatable. I also think as well is... Whether and you know in the modern game is there is there a role for somebody like Sigurdsson a play provides moments? Mm. You know the way the game's moved on over the last five six years, where you've got you know players up top pressing. It's it's a speedy game. Yes. Is there is there a, is there a player for somebody like Sigurdsson who just sift in and out? It's like that old number ten is is, is sort of disappearing from the game as well. And so yeah. it's not only so there's it's somebody who and a club who would want him to fulfil the role he has fulfilled at Everton in say four two three one. I'm not sure whether there'd be clubs out there who who, who need that type of player now, and that that's another complication into it. Um, it's not as if he's a speedy he's a speedy winger or speedy striker yeah. that actually will always you know speedy strikers definitely you would always get a uh, market for. Them. But so Sigurdsson is difficult maybe to offload because of the role he plays as well, Phil. Yeah. Mm, yeah, good point, Gav. Okay, uh, moving on, Preno. Um, <laughs> James Rodriguez, what's your thoughts? Um, uh, Carlo Ancelotti raised eyebrow um, <laughs> when his name is mentioned. Because, you know, whenever you hear a name like that and you think of that wonderful goal he scored at the World Cup, you think of that wonderful World Cup tournament he had, a couple of moments of, you know, some magic for Real Madrid, and you're excited initially because he's a name, he's a marquee player, uh, he's somebody that can do, you know, sort of the unexpected. But then, you know, that, that's immediately uh, tempered by the fact that he's 29. You look at his appearance record last season, uh, one goal in the whole of last season, uh, I think he was only selected largely in Copa del Rey games, and I think he made possibly nine or ten La Liga appearances. And okay, you know, so we're talking, you know, so sort of playing in a team, you know, which has got incredible quality, or a squad with incredible quality, anyway. But I don't know, you know, is he better than what we've got at the football club at the moment? Yeah, of course he is. Um, but is he worth what would be a huge outlay, you know, so in terms of wages? I'm not so sure. I mean, I suppose you have to trust the manager's judgments on this and he knows the player inside out. He's obviously taken him to Madrid. He's had him at Bayern Munich. He knows all about him and he's spoken publicly and said, you know, so how much he likes him as a player. Clearly, Carlo Ancelotti knows far more about him, you know, so than we do. And so, you know, he's confident enough that those reservations that I've just expressed can be can be wiped away. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of excitement, but equally, I'm, I'm not entirely sure personally. Mm. Sam, um, Carlo said to us before the before the end of the season, I think before before lockdown, even you know, I, you know, I, I can't lie, it's a player I like a lot. Um, is it the club's duty, therefore, if Carlo has gone to the board as we believe and said I'd really like James Rodriguez at the football club next season, 
do Everton have to do everything in their power to deliver the player or do you have any reservations that he's actually not the type of player we should be uh, should be going for I still think there has to be a, a limit put on it somewhere in the sense of you know if and I'm just picking these figures out of thin air but you know if, if he was going to cost us more than 25, 30 million and then be our highest earner on you know over a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week, um, then it's difficult, isn't it? Because that's not really what we brought Marcel Brands in to do uh, in reshaping the squad. And then you know you're probably looking at a player. Then we're going to have until he's 32, 33, 34 with a, with a very limited uh, resale value. But then on the other hand, and, and a little bit what what kind of pronouns just toys with is that you know we we've came this far and we've got one of the best managers of all time managing Everton you know do we have to do we have to put our faith in them and, and you know unless unless you know I think Marcel Brands or Greta Steinson and the scouting team are saying to Ancelotti look we know you like Hammers but there's this lad we think he's going to be great you know and, and it's you know, it's one of them where we maybe have to put our faith in that but if they haven't and, and Carlo is pushing it strong enough and saying I want him then I think if, if Marcel can work a bit of magic and and, and get a good deal then it would probably be worth it in the sense of you know you bring a player in who's got unbelievable quality unbelievable experience and a, a big thing that we're missing at the moment mentality you know he's going to come in he's got that Real Madrid Bayern Munich World Cup attitude about him he's not going to be phased by going to your Anfields or your Etihad's or your Old Trafford's and, and that's something else that we we greatly miss so it's just such a difficult one with Hammers you know and, and, and obviously the, the other lads were linked with as well, are both on the on the other end of 27, 28. And, mm. you know, the way people talk about uh, lads online these days, you'd think 27, 28 was 39, 40 from what it, from what it <laughs> used to be. But, you know, it's it's still lads in the prime of the career. But it, it, it does come with that added thing of, you know, after that, you're not going to probably get your money back. And you're looking for these lads, if we did sign them, to come in and, and instantly get us back into Europe and, and get us back into you know, contention for winning trophies. But look, I think at the end of the day, if we can get them and we bring them in, you know, we could because we've got to, I think before we can start looking longer term, we've, we've got to look now, haven't we? At the end of the day, you know, I'm not saying we, we, we should be looking over our shoulders, but we were beaten by a team on the last day of the season that got relegated. So we need these lads to, to come in and we're not really in a position right now to be developing too many lads because you look across the rest of the team and we've already got... You know, in goalkeeping terms, a young keeper. We've got Richarlison, Holgate, Branthwaite, you know, Lucas Dean still, you know, pretty young, Moise Keane, Yeri Mina still only 24, 25. So, you know, we, we need to build and get get ourselves a foothold before we can then start signing players for the longer term and, and, and you have, you know, this retail value and other things like that. So if if we can get the right deal then and Carlo wants them, then any player that Ancelotti says he wants we we should sign. But you know, we we have we do have to be wary because, you know, we're Everton fans and we've seen our uh, we've seen us get wiped, uh, get wiped out on transfer deals a few times over the last few mm. years. So, you know, the, there's the wariness that comes with that, but there's a lot that goes into it, isn't there? No, no, no. Well, well said, mate. Um, Gav, and Gavin, and look, we we spoke about this this quandary and this kind of dilemma that that the football club will have this summer in terms of wanting to stick as close to the strategy for long-term benefit of the football club and, and investing money in the right type of players for the long term, 
whilst also trying to back the manager. We spoke about the necessity of midfield. And I think in the last pod, you know, you, you spoke about thinking it was totally the right thing to do if, if Carlos yeah. and Alan and Decore, yeah, forget the age. If they're the players that are going to improve us, great. Should we should we add Rodriguez to that list as a you know a, you know as a twenty nine year old, but of course with significant wage issues. Yeah. Do we add that? Do we add that player, or do you think the board have to go? Look, that's a step too far. Or, or again, is it a situation here and now? We need to back the manager as best we can. Well, uh, paying Carlo nine million a year and putting him on an Atlantic contract is. It would be foolish not to, would it? But, I mean, it goes back to what I said last week, Phil. I've not got a problem buying Rodriguez, Decore and Allen as long as we make the savings elsewhere that they're guaranteed. Mm. So we get offload the high yeah. high earners who are not going to be, you know, playing every week. Players are on the periphery. We know who, who those are. If we can, if we can, you know, I worked out, I think, I worked out before that Alan Rodriguez... Uh, and the core right, between them for wages and transfer fees would probably cost us 35 million quid a year. Right. You know, as, as a group, maybe a little bit more than that. So if we can find, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going into like how much we, we saw the 100 million pound loss made last year. If we can find 35 million pounds worth of savings, I was the current squad to pay for those three. I've not got a problem with that deal, those yeah. deals. What I've got a problem with is we buy them three only make 15 million pound savings you know what I mean uh, and, and, and that, that's that. I, I've not got a problem with backing Carlo and I think we should and if he wants Samez Rodriguez if you remember Phil I was thinking about this when I see the day in 2016 when we were doing the podcast when Machiri's money first uh, was first being used he was a name that we mentioned in the podcast wasn't it if you remember was it um, nice. Yeah, so I've not got a problem with that. I mean, it brings us quality and, and you know, his injury record is a bit patchy. Um, but it, it's always amazing, isn't it, when players are unhappy, that their injury record's always patchy, isn't it? When they're happy, they're never injured, are they, you know? <laughs> um, so I would I would not got a problem with those things when we make the savings. And we've got a back yeah. Carlo. Um, and I think it's a good point that was made. It's like that, the age of the squad... That's what I was saying last week about the midfield, wasn't it? That Dodo, Takore and Allen are, say, 29, 28, 29. You've got Tom Davis there playing, what's 22. You've got Gabamans coming, he's 21. So that, that same principle just applies in the midfield about getting the bat ages right. So not got a problem getting Rodriguez if we can make the savings and if, that, if Carlo wants him. Yeah, I, w- I, wouldn't like, I wouldn't like to employ somebody like Carlo and at the end of his tenure, somebody turned, he turned around and said, well, the, the club didn't back me when I wanted to sign player X. Mm. I think that would be a shame for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Preno, um, who has to make way then? If we, if the club um, are serious about pursuing this opportunity and it's been described as that to me as an opportunity and one that the club will continue to look at, if the club had decided we will back Carlo, we will do everything in our power now to get James Rodriguez in from Real Madrid, who's got to make way? Well, it's, it's the usual suspects that we've been trying to move on for years and years and years and, you know, found very, very difficult to do so. In terms of squads, in terms of creating wages and generating wages, that means Yannick Balassi, Mo Besic, Sandra Ramirez, um, you know, I, I, ideally permanently, not just uh, on loan. 
so that that's no longer a drain on the football club. Uh, but if you're talking about the squad at present, um, and we mentioned him last week, I mean, I still think the most vulnerable man in the entire squad is Gilfie Sigurdsson. Uh, but again, the big problem there is trying to find somebody that will uh, take those wages on board and, you know, offer us a transfer fee. We're going to take a, an enormous loss on him, you know, so when he eventually does uh, move on uh, because of that. But, you know, I think those kind of decisions have to be taken if, if we're going to generate, um, you know, the kind of funds and create the kind of space necessary to bring in a marquee signing like Rodriguez. And that obviously does come with its own, you know, problems, as I mentioned earlier, the reservations I have over that one. But he's an exciting player. So, yeah, you know, totally get why you have to back the manager. It's strange, isn't it? Because we never even contemplated this issue two or three years ago uh, when, you know, basically any manager just had to click his fingers and Farhad Mashiri would, uh, you know, present him with whatever player he wanted. Unfortunately, that Mm. created problems which we're now left with trying to sort out and the club is very sensibly and very prudently trying to resolve those issues now. And as a result, we've got to be, you know, so financially careful. We've got to be prudent. We've got to try and move players on before we can bring other players in. And it does get a little bit frustrating. It does get a bit boring. You know, you want to be excited pre-season, don't you? You want to see players paraded and holding shirts up around the, uh, the training grounds. But you've got to do it bit by bit. So, yeah, we do need to see a number of players moved on. And uh, like I say, the squad players, as mentioned, possibly Sigurdsson as well as a, as a player who's might not feature in the new system that you know. So um, Ancelotti wants to play. They're, they're probably the names for me that I think have got to be moved on. Yeah. So are we? Do you feel like the squad's top heavy anywhere? You know, is there is there fat that could be trimmed, for want of a better phrase, um, in, in certain areas? I think the the scary thing for me, which speaks volumes, is that you know the the players that were being you know, the the players that we're interested in that we know, you know, Hammers, Allen and Decorne, if, if we get all three, then I think every central midfielder, you know, bar Andre Gomez, should be looking over the shoulder, really, or players who've been used in that position, you know, is the, as Tom Davies, Gilfie Sigurdsson or Fabian Delph, you know, have they shown enough in, in Everton Colours in the last, you know, 12, 18 months? No, they probably haven't and I, and I think, um, and I don't think I'd be in a in a minority uh, saying that, you know. And and then you look, you, Alex Awobi as well hasn't exactly set the world mm. on fire. You've got your outcast then, like Yannick Balassi and Sandro Ramirez, um, and we and we've still got some of the young lads. You know, you've got your Benny Beningamis, Matthew Pennington, Callum Connolly, who all you know need to find new clubs in in the same way Keaton Dallas this summer. So. You know, central midfield-wise, I'd certainly say we can't bring in these players without at least one going. Um, and and I, I couldn't really say who that would be. I think I just don't think anyone could have any complaints if someone ends up out on loan or, or permanently because of those uh, performances. And, you know, in Delft's case, maybe his injury troubles. Um, and then wingers as well. I mean, you know, Awobi, I, I, I think there's a player in there can Ancelotti, you know, I think um, it was a Wobie who kind of said that him and Ancelotti have been working quite closely together, kind of coming up with like a an inside left wing position. Um, you know, whether that has an effect or not next season remains to be seen. And, and Bernard as well, I think, but I think, I think kind of quietly Bernard got away with being really, really underwhelming last season. So, you know, it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? I think we've just had, we've just come off the back of such a poor season and. There's such a short turnaround that a lot of players, you know, if the right bid came in, 
would probably be out the door and, and in another summer they probably would be but this summer whether there's the takers to take on the wages of Sigurdsson or Bernard you know two players who I think might have got a couple of sniffs in, in different circumstances they probably will start the season as Everton players so you know it, it is now starting to think if we do send these lads where does everyone play and you know some of the lads might have to get used to playing on a uh, on a Monday night at Southport for the under 20s the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, good stuff. Uh, moving on, um, Gareth Barry uh, announced his retirement from football this week. Um, of course, played for the Blues for uh, three and a bit seasons. First on loan and then permanently. Gav, um, post Moyes, because I think that's probably an easier period of time for us to assess this. Post Moyes, where does Gareth Barry rank in terms of transfer signings the club have made? Right near the top, doesn't he? <laughs> um, right near the top, if if not, you know, you'd say for business, Lukaku was a good signing, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, yeah. And in terms of business, we're getting four years out of a top striker, and not as peak, but you know, seeing him develop into a, a really good player, um, and we made a good profit on the sale. Um, but in terms of further down the line, I mean, let, you know. Not necessarily a marquee signing as such. Uh, Gareth, I, mean, I, I would even say post Moise, I think, in terms of watching Everton. Certainly mm. in the 21st century, Gareth's right up there, isn't he? Um, all the things that we've been talking about, moaning about our midfield in this pod and many previous pods. Um, Gareth, you know, would, would show a lot, not all those problems up, uh, would resolve half of those problems. And I, you know what, he's one of them players. He'd been nothing about years, hadn't he, before he came to him? What, 15 years, something like that? Um, yeah. As a pro, it speaks volumes. And I didn't realise how good he was until he came to the club. Um, and really, really good, you know, great professional off the pitch. Real old school. I don't think football produces players like him anymore. And... Um, you can look back in their 50-odd England caps, Premier League title, couple of cups, and look back in, a, in, in at a career where he, he got every ounce of his ability, he used every ounce of his ability available to him, and, and, and then some, and goes away, what, 20-odd years after his debut? <laughs> what, what a career, and, um, you know, the like of which, I don't, don't know whether you see that going forward, but, Absolute top class, top man, and uh, you know we just congratulate him on a on a superb career for club and country. Absolutely, Preno. In terms of our Premier League signings, then you know, Gav extended that period it's so, so strongly. Feels about Gareth. Is he one of the best Premier League signings we've ever made? Yeah, undoubtedly, certainly one of those that you know flew under the radar a little bit. He was the kind of player that was appreciated by players and by managers. I remember the. Uh, the uproar from our neighbours across the park when uh, Rafael Benitez talked about uh, replacing Xabi Alonso with him 
And, um, you know, it turned out that that would have been a great move for them. Fortunately, you know, he, uh, he didn't go there. Um, came to Everton. And I remember a lot of Manchester City fans at the time uh, telling me, yeah, you won't, you know, you'll love this guy. He's one of those mm. players that you don't appreciate how good he is until he's actually in your team. And um, we got that impression. It was, it reminded me a little bit of the uh, the Paul Power signing for some of the older listeners. And, you know, you raise your eyebrows and think, well, why have we signed him? And then very, very quickly, you come to appreciate how good he is. I remember sitting down doing a piece of them uh, at the training grounds when, um, I think he'd been voted like a player of the first half of the season or something in the days when we did those kind of surveys uh, by the Everton fans. And I remember him telling him this and he seemed, you know, so genuinely pleased and genuinely, you know, so satisfied because he had that kind of role in the team where it's not instantly noticeable. You know, you notice your Lukaku's and your players scoring goals and creating goals, but the kind of job that he did uh, tends not to be noticed as much. And yet he did it very, very effectively and so much so that he quickly became a real crowd fan. And then very soon after that, I think he scored a really good long range goal. Was it against Norwich? Norwich, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, it was talked about as being, um, you know, back in the frame for an England call-up again. And that irritated him a little bit. He said, well, hang on, I'm not playing any differently to how I was two or three months ago. Yeah, because I've scored a long range goal, suddenly I'm being talked about as an England player again. He was always good enough, you know, so to yeah. still have had that international place. Um, yeah, you can't really underestimate how consistent he was and how effective he was. And uh, just an absolute top, top player. And, you know, I don't want to put him in like a list of, you know, the best or the second best or whatever it was, because we had, you know, a number of very, very effective players, you know, in that era. Uh, but he's certainly one of the players that jumps up and talks about as being best value for money. Uh, oh, when you think about, yeah. you know, so, you know, what, what we got him for and what we paid for him. Um, yeah, excellent player. And, you know, so thoroughly deserves all the plaudits and all the nice things that have been written about him this week. Absolutely. Sam, if it, it feels to me, and I don't know if you agree that, since Gareth left the football club and, and it was reluctantly released and, and sold by, by Kuhn at the time, he made that very clear that he, he was reluctant to do so. It feels in that four years since we've not actually not replaced what he gave to the, to the team. No, I think we haven't replaced. You know, that's certainly the last time I remember having a, a midfield partnership that you you just loved. You know, him and, yeah. him and McCarthy, they knew each other's limitations, they knew what each other was good at, you know, it wasn't really a, a case of, you know, give McCarthy the ball and Barry does all the running, you know, it was it was quite clear that McCarthy was the legs and, and Barry was the was the brains of the of the outfit. But, you know, obviously as we're saying there, once Gareth left then obviously James suffered badly with injuries as well. But it, it kind of it never really felt like he was the same player without someone like that beside him and you know, we, we we just haven't had anyone like that. And I think also, you know, going back to what we were saying before, this scepticism about, you know, players' ages and, and, and okay, Barry was, was a lot cheaper than, than those lads will come, but just shows that sometimes the you know, if he's the if he's the right player, then he's the he's the right age kind of thing. So uh no, we definitely haven't ever replaced Gareth Barry and just, I think he's a throwback as well, I think, just to uh to better times for for Everton really isn't it that 2013-14 season you know apart from maybe the back end of Koeman's first season and the back end of Silver's first season as well which somehow is only technically last season or the, the season before kind of thing um, we haven't had many times to, to celebrate quite like that and um, I think that's why he got such a nice reception from Everton fans when he, when he announced his retirement yesterday so you know th that is what we've got to aim for we've got to 
I can't really remember the last time I've seen an Everton centre midfielder kind of come and call for the ball off the goalkeeper or centre back on the on the half turn and, and, and turn his shoulder and, and look to play forwards. You know, it was the same at Blackpool. It just feels like sometimes we're just taking the easy route out in midfield and we're not really progressing the ball forward and, and that's what we're crying out for. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd give a lot to have a, a 31-year-old Gareth Barry back in, back in that midfield next season, I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah, well said. Yeah, no, he was fearless in that respect at coming for the ball. He, and that's something that I think, you know, Preno, you mentioned about, was it Gav, forgive me, about him being a real player's player. It's because of stuff like that. He would always show for the ball, no matter the pressure, no matter the game, no matter the moment in the match. He was always available and, and you know, one of the many reasons why he was so important. Um, we'll, move, we'll move on, but I might bring Gareth back into this conversation. Uh, last Friday night, the club announced that they were uh, working on the quote, final details of a role for Leighton Baines to return as the football club, Gav. Um, the belief is it will be on the football side rather than as an ambassador or, or anything on, on that side of things. No specific details yet about what type of role it should be or it will be. What do you think would suit Leighton? Or what would you, what would you like to see the role be for him? Uh, left back, uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Most of giant yeah. moves, and in fact, they're going to get him back into the training ground and go, oh, just, just, just play for a bit, just train. Yeah, you've you you captured registration. In the, you're in the Premier League squad, the 25 late. Don't worry, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think it does go back to the Gareth Barry thing, doesn't it, really? Um, in terms of, I was thinking, senior pro influence, senior, you know, like the respective senior pro within the squad which is something that Gareth Barry gave us and we made two signs then since him him, him and so about Barry who've not fulfilled that role have they who were probably with Amar too that was Ashley Williams yeah. and Delf yeah. and so consequently when we again regurgitating stuff in the previous podcast lack of leadership on the pitch all that type of stuff I think we missed a bit of that and I, I, I suspect that late the, the role I would like Leighton to have is sort of like maybe a bridge between the manager and the the squad where he's, he's, part, of, <laughs> actually, he's part of the squad but can't play. Yeah. You know, <laughs> some, some, given, given leadership, given advice, you know, that type of thing, without having the pressure of the, the playing side to contend with and fitness and all that type of stuff. Um, I, I suspect that we've got a bit of a gap there in the dressing room at the moment. Um, and I think if he could, you know, I think that would be an interesting little role um, that um, he could fulfil, to be honest with you. And it, I mean, we've we spoken about Leighton's sort of future in the game, but if he wants a future, um, you know. Um, but if he does, that would be a decent starting point uh, for me, because he's still relatively young and it'd be a good way to get an idea about, you know, what goes on outside of the, the, the playing, you know, the you know, the playing squad in terms of our our club and, and, and squad is running now. It'd be an assessing yeah. role for them. Uh, Absolutely. And, and I think I, I would like going back to some sort of conduit link between the management and, and team, bit of advice and support for the team members I think would be an, an incessant incessant role for them. Mm. Preno, I mean look nobody 
particularly to, to, to teach anything to Carlo Ancelotti about, about the art of defence and, and everything that he's done in that respect. But we have Duncan at the football club as an assistant manager who has done a lot of work with the strikers. Does, does, does there a natural place for Leighton to work with the defenders? I think there could be, yeah, given the fact that he's so highly thought of, you know, around the training grounds. I mean, we spoke about um, losing Phil Jagielka's influence, you know, so when he moved on and that left Leighton Baines as like, you know, the the one old, uh, more experienced, you know, sort of individual. And I camp Seamus Coleman in there as well. Uh, but, you know, one of the few players that, you know, the youngsters look up to, he's got a certain... Um, Respect, I don't know what the right word to use is, but, you know, he does influence people in a very, very quiet, understated way around the training pitch. And uh, it was a real loss to lose that, apart from what he brings, you know, in terms of quality uh, in the squad, but to lose that presence around the training ground. So, yeah, there certainly is. I mean, when the club first started talking about there being a role for him, I initially just thought it was going to be you know, some kind of ambassadorial role, cultural ambassador, I don't know, club photographer. <laughs> so something yeah, well, yeah. so using one of his um you know, so sort of one of his hobbies. But you know, clearly he's he's much more influential than that and more important than that. So I'm quite heartened to hear that it is likely to be, you know, sort of more of a football role. Because clearly he does have an awful lot to impart and um and he does it in a very, very, you know, sort of classy, understated way too. Um, he gets the football club and he gets the qualities about the football club. So it's good to hear that he's still going to be retained in some fashion. I'm really excited to find out what it's going to be. Absolutely. OK, we've got two more topics to, to cover before the end of the pod. So we will quickly move on. And, and, and uh, first one, and uh, just some brief thoughts on each of you. Sam, I'll start with you. Uh, the club revealed their new third kit this week. Seafoam uh, green with charcoal chevrons. Are you a fan? <laughs> Already wearing it now, Phil. Well, I expected nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it was quite sexy. I think that's the yeah. the right way to the to the sky. It was a bit of a still. I, I think I like the I like the yellow one, and and I think the home kit's nice as well. So I think mm. the uh, the Hummer lads have have done well for the first se- first season. Uh, a lot of the people saying the goalie kit was nice as well for the third one, the black and gold, which is uh, which is decent as well. Um, but we said it on the podcast, think about the home kit, that uh, it's hard to get enthusiastic about kits when the, the you know the team on the pitch isn't, isn't playing well. And I think, you know, again, last season was a nice kit, but it'll forever be kind of tarnished by, you know, losing 5-2 at Anfield and, and, and some of the dark days we had in it. So a, a really nice first kit, a really nice away kit and a lovely third kit. And what a, um, what a move by Everton as well to have the disability uh, team yeah. model that kit and presenter and anyone who hasn't read it uh, I think Adam Jones done a couple of pieces with the, the disability manager amazing uh, re- really kind of reaffirms that people's club vibe of Evans that, that was amazing but now we need to start putting in the performances to, to make it a classic kit you know that we that we look back on in years to come with pictures of us lifting trophies in it so that's what uh, that's what I'm hoping for yeah Brill Gav do you like what you saw? Eh. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I, I did until I, until I realised the only time I can remember seeing Everton wearing any sort of green as Belfield kit was a horrible 4 0 defeat at Chelsea in January 1972. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure Keno remembers that one. Uh, I think, but yeah, it's good. And of course, uh, as many have commented on uh, social media, you know, pictures of James Rodriguez and a green kit. <laughs> you know, people putting two two together and making five, maybe. Yeah, but it's good. I can't. I can't I don't know, best. Apart from the horrible 
Kitty, they wore in 71 to 72 a couple of times. I can't remember Evan ever playing in green. Well, yeah, there's a, a sort of a green one. When we played away at Southampton. Um, yes, 2015. 2015-16 yeah. yeah. season. And it was like a, a, a khaki kind of green. It looked like some kind of army manoeuvres outfit. Yeah, um, that's it, right. But, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Winning, we ended up winning 3-0, didn't we? we, we oh, won, that was a boss game. Yeah. Won very that was well a boss there. And a boss game, because Aruna Kone probably ran the show from right mid, didn't he? <laughs> So, you know, that's the only one I can remember. That one Gav's talking about, that was very strange because that was an yeah. area when third kits didn't exist. And, uh, you know, whether somebody would forgotten to pack the away kit, I don't know. So we ended up wearing that green abomination. But, yeah, it's there on YouTube. And um, it was, you know, so a very, very unsavory afternoon. But if you want, you know, a, a classy green kit, the one Southampton have just unveiled with that lovely stripe across the middle, like Peruvian's 1978-style sash across the middle. Now, that's a green kit. <laughs> I'll take that all day long. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, as third kits go, it's okay. I mean, you're talking to the wrong, wrong age demographic here with me and Gav to be excited yeah. about third <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's all right, you know, so yeah. I don't mind Indeed. Okay, um, we, we could and may well do uh, a, a sort of a, a stadium dedicated pod, probably for overdue one. But but briefly, obviously, uh, for people who aren't aware, but I'm sure that's everybody's fully up to speed. The club have uh, announced this week that they had to, uh, they're going to have to reissue some tweak designs for the new stadium based on some objections that have come through from from uh, sort of um, statutory sort of people, including historic England, etc., who've raised some sort of objections. Uh, so the multi-storey car park that you will have seen on the initial designs that was on the west stand, uh, the riverside uh, of, of the proposed ground at Bramley Moor Dock has gone and replaced by some stepped uh, stepped plaza, they, as they called it. As I said, we'll talk more, more detail about what it means and, and, and what it does a knock-on effect for the project. But, but in terms of, of how it looks, Sam, do you think the changes actually look better than, than what we saw initially? Yeah, uh, I do. To be honest, I was uh, when I first when I first seen it all breaking, I was I was a bit worried, you know, about what changes these were going to be. But I think it looks a million times better. And um, yeah, I think I've seen someone someone put on Twitter that the steps will be quite good now when you're looking to slide out the match early when we're we're two <laughs> down at home on eighty minutes and you can just get down the steps nice and uh, nice and quickly. But no, I do I think it looks really nice. Looks just looks a little bit cleaner. Um, yeah. You know, so. And if it if it helps us move ahead with getting the planning permission and, and and getting started on the building work, which is obviously what we all want to see, then I'm I'm all for the kind of thing. But from the from the images I've seen, it looks totally spot on. And you know when you do start seeing you know 2021, that's when they're looking to start it. You know you you do start getting excited excited because you know it, we're closing in on that now. Yeah, Gav, same to you, mate. Just briefly, you think it looks better with the changes? Yeah, yeah, it was interesting to say. I mean, Colin Chong, who, who put the, uh, the the note of fans on, on the website, me and Prano saw a presentation by him last year, didn't we, Dave? And he came across, came across really well, knows what he's doing. Uh, so yeah, so I appreciate that. I think he said some of it's also uh, as a result of the feedback from the consultation with supporters, isn't it, as well? Yes. Uh, yeah, so I think that's good. I also, what I, what I thought was also good, which maybe was right at the bottom of his notice. The right now to season ticket holders and hospitality yes. uh, tickets holders aren't they about ideas and, and their opinions on stuff in, in the stadium uh when it when it's available, which I think is also a, a good move at this stage. So I think um said it doesn't harm the general plan that they're looking 
uh, you know, that they've been working to. Um, but they did say in there, didn't he, that they can't give an exact date about when the first spades in the ground, but they are, I think it's early 21, isn't it, that they're looking at? Uh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and the final dates of completion. The assumption, though, as I say, by that they're working to the still work to the up and indicates that they don't see this damage in the the um, you know the original 23 September 23 uh, start date. Yeah, so yeah, it's good. I like I say I like that uh, that plaza type thing by the by the river because I think that people's views were blocked with Randy, I think by yes. having the car park there, I believe. Yeah. Um, there was, there was trouble with safety played like they did at the end of last season. All about the car park in the ground blocking the views, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> in the, in, in the um, midfield, yeah. Yeah, probably move faster. Um, yes, but yeah, uh, seriously. Um, no, seriously. Um, yeah, I, it's good, good that some bits based on feedback from supporters, and there's some good, good, good messages in there about uh, consultation going forward. No complaints from yeah. me. Brano, just briefly, you, you in favour of the changes? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's turned um, a potential problem into a virtue. Um, I understand why you know, it's a historic England, you know, expressed their reservations. That's something that they have to do. But uh, let's, let's face it, you know, the, the, the public good is massively outweighs um, the, the historic issues that they're trying to, to raise on this. But Everton have listened to them and they've modified their plans accordingly. And... I think it looks quite uh, quite cool that you know so mm. banked you know so steps uh, on the edge of the water, um, just a, a little area for fans to gather maybe before the game. Um, aesthetically, it looks very very good. Um, whether we've got to worry about fans you know so sort of running down and you know so ended up in the water, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but uh, but no, generally I think they've uh, they've turned like I say a potential problem into a virtue. So yeah, you know so Everton. Have not really taken um, a, a wrong step on this uh, this entire stadium project so far. Let's hope I'm not, you know, so, um, causing yeah, anything by it. saying that's exactly. But no, it's uh, it looks good to me. I'm very very pleased with it. Bro, we will wrap it up there, chaps. Thank you very much for your company, excellent as always, and thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.